0: If you got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Let's read it all. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for how you've already been here with us today, encouraging us. Uh, We pray that our worship pleased you this morning uh, as we sing praise to you uh, in the grace and forgiveness that you give us. Lord, you make us righteous. You make our worship righteous through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you have been honored and extolled and glorified today through us as we lift you up. Father, now I pray as we open your word, you would greatly encourage every man and woman in this room who knows you. Lord Jesus, teach us. May your word not only encourage us, but may it empower us. Father, may everyone in this room walk out of this room this morning with more gospel confidence than they've ever had It is in Jesus' name we pray these things that everybody said. Amen. Amen. Now, as you can see, let's read verse 12 again. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. The church is called the body of Christ. The primary metaphor Paul uses here to communicate that truth is a human body. He uses that same metaphor we saw either last week or a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 12. It's an important metaphor for us to understand what happens when we gather together in the name of Jesus Christ. God has a purpose for this. We are the visible manifestation of uh, the the temple of God in the world according to 1 Corinthians 3. We come together and shine the light making much of Jesus uh, and his kingdom grows through our coming together and being one. We are very diverse. We come from all kinds of places. We dress in different ways. We have different ways of communication. We have different traditions that we hold dear. We have different convictions than other Christians coming from other traditions. There's a lot of diversity in the body of Christ, but when we come together, we although diverse, are unified through the power of the Holy Spirit to lift up and glorify Jesus Christ together. This is the way that God has built us. This is what God calls us to do. Now, these pencils, these pencils represent individual Christians. What happens? Because this may have happened to you before. You may know someone this has happened too. I know there are people in my family that have, uh, don't see the importance of church any longer because... They got out in the world and they used to go to church and they used to feel what we feel here at Four Points. When we come together, that spirit of unity, that spirit of encouragement, when we hear one another sing praises to the Lord, it just, man, the Lord uses it to lift our spirits, to give us strength, to build our faith for the week ahead because Monday's coming, amen? Some of you are like, Brent... As soon as you say amen, the world's coming. Uh, We gotta walk right back into the mess that we came in from. It's, It's hard. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Life is hard. We need this. We need to gather together to worship. We need to gather together to learn and go deep in Scripture, God's words. We need this, but we're so easily influenced. It's so easy to fall out of habit, out of the routine of coming together. It's why uh, Jesus said, uh, Scripture teaches, do not forsake the assembling. Uh, right? It's easy to drift, but make it priority. But so many times, Work is hard and this is the only morning I have to sleep in and months go by and every month that passes it's easier just to hit snooze and stay in bed and get your sleep and we build other routines and two years down the road and three years down the road church just isn't a part of our life anymore and and we've forgotten its importance. We've forgotten all the encouragement and the strengthening that happens when we come together together three years down the road Satan comes along as Satan always does to sift uh, Jesus told Peter Satan desires to sift you like wheat Satan desires to to to, to pull you and, and and pressure you and and cause you to drift away in your faith from Christ and when we're out here on our own, individually, singularly, we're just not as strong as we are when we are together. When we get out here in two and three years, pass away and Satan comes, we're easily broken You know, my kid's a good ball player. Every coach tells me he's a good ball player. You know what? And just, you know, the fall season's not enough anymore. We need to travel ball, and everybody's encouraging, and he really has a chance to make it, and, you know, church is important. I've always taught my family church is important, but, you know, it's just a couple years. We've got to make some sacrifices so my kid can have a shot to play ball and two or three years go by, and your your kid doesn't make the team. And we break. We fall out of the habit. It's so simple when, you know, small group's not that important. That John guy, I really don't like him. He smells. He's always got coffee breath. Right? We're not growing together. We're not known and being known. There are strength in numbers by ourselves, easily deceived, easily broken, easily drifting away from the Holy Spirit, from, from the, the hope that we have. But together, and listen, you won't be impressed if I try this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring one of the strongest guys I know up here right now. Uh, so Daniel Norton, everybody give him a hand. Woo! He told me he'd help me. Look at this guy. Beast! Beast! <laughs> all right daniel in this illustration you represent satan just know that (laughs) we we don't think you are you're a good dude we know it but you are satan when we stay together look at it watch this can you even get your arm you got big hands man try to break that look look at those those biceps have biceps See how weak Satan is? (laughs) Daniel, thank you. Satan is such a pansy. Together We used to have, when I was part of a Greek club, we had a saying, the strength of the wolf is in the pack, and the strength of the pack is in the wolf. The same is true of Christians. Together, we are hard to break. And in this world we live in, where Satan's throwing everything he can at the church, Satan is painting us in a corner to all of our kinsmen as as backwoods chauvinists and and misogynists and, uh, you know, uh, uh, a... just back hills, backwoods, uh, people that shouldn't be listened to. Right? It's we're easily by ourselves, easily broken. By ourselves, we don't really need. We don't need the encouragement. We don't need the strength. But but together, there is strength in numbers. There is strength in unity that we have in Jesus Christ. We need one another. My dad always said, "This is a great statement," and you've heard me say it before. The church needs everybody, and everybody needs the church. Listen, there's got to be a light shining in the darkness of this world and all the confusion. Man, they don't even know the difference between boys and girls anymore. We've got to to stand for truth and alone. Man, I got blocked on Facebook. I guess I can't be a light to the world anymore. Right? Alone. Alone. Easily broken, but together we can stand and be a voice in this world of the gospel that people have to take notice of because it's the power of the Holy Spirit bringing us together and giving us the courage and the strength to speak his word in this world in the first place. We need each other. All of us are better than one of us. Amen? Amen? We need one another. Let's look. Why? Because we're in Christ. It is his gospel that unites nobody in here. Regardless what tradition you come from, regardless uh, what what dress codes you think are appropriate or not appropriate, uh, regardless of all of our personal convictions, all of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That makes all of us equal. We have all offended God. We all deserve his wrath because of our sin. But Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we have not and we could not. And then he, in his righteousness, shoves us out of the way and stands and absorbs the full wrath of God for our sin. He died in our place for our sin. But he didn't just stay dead. He rose on the third day conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. This, we're all... All equal in our sin, we're also all equal in our salvation and in Christ God has done something through the power of His spirit. He's brought us together from the four corners of the earth. He's brought us and know the earth isn't flat. but there's north, south, east and west and from all directions God has brought us together. And made us one in the life, through and in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we could just get it together, man, think about what we could do together if we were all on board and believed what Scripture teaches about the unity that we have. You know, I'm. I had a few rabbit trails last service. Sarah promised me, don't say anything politically again. So I'm going to try to honor her. But I get so frustrated with people who just, man, even when they have the opportunity to do something that needs to be done, they just don't get it done. Because they're fighting over minutia and they're fighting over tertiary this or they're they're selfish trying to get this little cut back for them in order for me to, to join you and be a part of you gotta give, you know, scratch my it's all that nonsense. Christians are the same way, and we miss the opportunity that we have to to truly do something great, not for ourselves, but for the kingdom of God on planet earth. This is why God brings us together. There is purpose. There is strength in us coming together. Because it shines through the power of God's spirit, the gospel, to everyone whom we come in contact with. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit, underline it, There's not two spirits. There's not three spirits. There are other spirits, but there's only one Holy Spirit. Anytime a group of people are making much of Jesus, saying Jesus is Lord, turn to Jesus, repent of your sin, that is a group of people full of the Holy Spirit, empowered by God's Spirit. If you got anybody over here saying anything other that doesn't make much of Jesus, that's another spirit. That's the spirit, the power of this world. That spirit is Satan and his demons in origin. That's why Paul calls everything that doesn't lift up Jesus the doctrine of demons. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of our triune Godhead. And we were all baptized, underline that word, baptized. That word means to be fully submerged. That does not mean, baptism doesn't mean The Bible says when Jesus was baptized, he had come up out of the water. Why? Because he was fully submerged under the water. And when he came up out of the water, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him and God spoke from heaven, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. The Greek word baptizo means submerged, to be dunked. Praise God. Don't you love dunking somebody underwater? (laughs) Pastors get to do it all the time. We were all baptized into, so one spirit, one baptism, one body, into one body, the church. Right, the metaphor of the body of Christ being the church is throughout the New Testament. We become, individually we're not we still are representatives of God as individual people, but it's together when we come together. We are the, the visible manifestation of the body of Christ in this world. There's only one body, just like there's one spirit and one baptism. And in this one body, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. Look at this. Jew or Greek, and there's a big difference between those two. Jew or Greek, Slave or free. There's no socioeconomic restriction or barrier. The table of Christ is open to people from all places, at all times, in all cultures, in all ethnicities, in all languages. There are no barriers. It's the the table of the Lord, the baptism of of God's spirit to bring us together, making us one body, knows no boundaries. Uh, It's for the rich. It's for the poor. It's for the tall. It's for the skinny. It's for the red, the yellow, the black, and the white. It's for the nations. Praise God. We can be so different and so diverse, but in Christ, gathered together, unity Man, the world needs to see unity. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, I want to focus on the, the word baptizo in here for a moment because there is confusion among amongst Christians. We talked about some of that confusion a few weeks ago when we went through the first list of gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to spend a lot more time with this when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But for our purposes today, I want to unpack this This. Singular unity, one spirit, one body, one baptism. Because some people believe in multiple baptisms. We're going to talk about spirit baptism and, and why have people think differently about it and how we should think about it according to Scripture. If you'll put up that first slide. Why is, let me tell you, there is a lot of verbs attached to the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Baptism is just one of them. We've also got, uh, we receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 we've got we are empowered by God's spirit we are filled man that one is all throughout the new testament the holy spirit comes upon us we are filled with God's spirit right there is there is this idea uh, from Ephesians chapter listen The Holy Spirit just doesn't come upon us one time. It should be a continual process in our lives. We learn this from places like Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 where the Bible says, Do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Here's what that means. Those are both uh, future tense verbs there. What they mean is don't be drunk with wine in a continual path of drunkenness because we've all seen the town drunk and how worthless and meaningless his life has become, which is debauchery. We shouldn't be, conti- doesn't mean you can't go to a Braves game or a friend's house to watch a game or a wedding and not have a good time. But we should not be continually drunk with wine because that leads to a worthless and meaningless life. Instead, we should be filled, not once, but continuously with the Spirit of God to empower us, to give us courage, to help us walk after Him, to be led and guided by Him. He makes us effective in ministry and stewarding the gospel in our lives personally and together as the church. So when we talk about spirit baptism... This is not a, a one time and you're done thing as so many think it is but it's a continual process of the Holy Spirit empowering us and unifying us and bringing us together to make much of Jesus. Are we tracking? Spirit Baptist, so what is it? And how can we know for sure that we've got a right understanding? You gotta love God's word. You gotta love God's word. Every question answered. First, why? instead of the filling of the Spirit, the empowerment. Why are none of these other verbs as potent as the baptism of the Spirit in so many Christian traditions? Let's unpack it. First, let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, because why is this verb meshed up with the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's because the Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First and foremost, through John the Baptist, recorded in every gospel account, every gospel narrative that we have, he talks about how Jesus is going to baptize us in the Spirit. Uh, Matthew 3.11 is the only one we're going to read today. But John says, I baptize you, I dunk, I submerge you with water for repentance But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He's talking about Jesus. When Jesus finally shows up uh, at John's baptismal uh, services, John screams out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. Uh, And John says, no way, you should baptize me. Let's do it that. He's talking about Jesus. I'm not even worthy uh, to untie his sandal. He will baptize you. He will immerse you. He will dunk you in the power of the Holy Spirit and fire. So this is where our spirit baptism word comes from. John the Baptist himself prophesied that this would occur. Now, if you're like me, and you're from Appalachian Deep Hill, mountain assembly, Pentecostalism. There's not only the spirit baptism, but there's the, the baptism of fire. Ooh. So uh, nobody can really explain what that is, but, uh, but they believe it It happens sometime after they're baptized in the spirit. All right, so John the Baptist, where's it come from? John the Baptist said it was gonna happen. Then back to the slide, Jesus guarantees it will happen. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 5. You are awesome back there, Ben. Thank you so much. For John, Jesus is talking. This is resurrected Jesus in power and glory. He's met, he's 30 days he has spent with his disciples and with crowds as as big as 500. That's why later when Paul, we're going to get there. Later when Paul uh, writes in chapter 15, he says, if you don't believe what I'm saying about the gospel, go and ask the people that were there. They're all still alive. Go and ask the witnesses who were there and saw resurrected Jesus. This wasn't written hundreds of years later. It was written in the time frame of the eyewitnesses who beheld the glory of God. John chapter 1, amen. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We know as Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives, they go to the upper room, those 120, and they're in that room waiting. Jesus told them, Don't go into ministry yet. Don't go around telling everybody about me yet. Wait, you're going to need power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, Jesus tells them that. So they go to the upper room and the great prophecy from Joel chapter 2 was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit did come upon them, making them effective witnesses uh, uh, for the birth of the church. Now, let's go back to the slide. John the Baptist said it would happen. Jesus guaranteed it will happen. Peter affirms that it did happen. Now, here's the the story as we get further in Acts. Peter has, it's only Jews in the upper room. And then it's Jews proclaiming the glory of God to other Jews that were on the streets as they poured out of the upper room. The church from two sermons Peter has preached is we know at least 8,120 people. Right, 3,000 get uh, saved his first sermon, 5,000 get saved. These are Jews that are believing that Jesus is their Messiah, the one that they had been waiting on, the one that would save them from their sins. They began believing in Jesus and the church was born. The book of Acts is the history of the church and how it grew through the planting of more churches. Peter, So Peter, the church is all Jews. They're not expecting anything to change. But Peter has a vision, and in this vision, he sees this large sheet, and in the middle of this large sheet, a bunch of unclean animals are gathering, and Peter is confused by by what he's seeing in his mind's eye, and then Peter hears a voice, and the voice says, pick up and eat. Now, Peter's a good Jewish boy. There are strict rules and commands in the Old Testament about what a Jew could eat and could not eat. And, and cloven-hoofed animals were not for eating. They were considered unclean. No ham, no bacon for the Jews. Strict diet. And so he is a bunch of unclean animals he's not allowed to eat. And all of a sudden the voice who's God speaking to him says, pick up and eat. And Peter says, he responds, As you would expect a Jewish man 2,000 years ago to respond. He says, I would never. I would never eat that. It's not allowed. It's unrighteous. It's unclean. It's unholy. And then God says, don't call unclean what I have made unclean. Right? And so this is in Peter's mind. And he's, he's trying to think, what does that mean? And as he's thinking, what does that mean? His iPhone 15 rings. Just kidding, titanium, big whoop. It's the same stupid phone it's been for 12 years. I'm getting, to getting lost. Somebody comes and says, hey, there's a guy named Cornelius. His whole family wants you to come and tell them about Jesus. They're not Jews, but they're God-fearers. Here's what that means. Whether they're Roman in ethnicity or Greek in ethnicity, wherever they come from, they weren't Jewish uh, by uh, by descent, uh, but they would come to the synagogue and hear the rabbis. They would come to the temple if they lived in Jerusalem, and they would hear the rabbis proclaiming uh, Yahweh God, the creator God, uh, from the Old Testament writings and what he said and, and how they should live. And they, ad- they believed that Yahweh was God. They hadn't fully converted to Judaism, uh, but they believed that Yahweh was God, and they lived Listen to the teaching. They were called God-fearers. Where Cornelius hears about Jesus, so summons Peter, the disciple and apostle of Christ, to come and proclaim the gospel. And Peter comes and he proclaims the gospel and the Holy Spirit falls upon them the exact same way that he did at Pentecost with the Jews. And this was a sign to Peter that indeed Salvation is not just for Jewish people. It's for all nations, right? And the light bulb goes off through this historical act that happened in history. Look at Acts chapter 11 with me. And I just want I I love my Bible. So I want to read it out of my Bible. And I don't know where I'll begin or where I'll stop. But this is important. And by the way, for all you good reformed people in the room, When somebody has questions about sovereignty, God's sovereignty, where do we take them? Romans 8, Romans 8, Romans 8. Maybe Ephesians 1 sometimes, maybe Acts 13 sometimes. But Romans 8 is where we start. The golden chain of salvation as it's become known. For the Pentecostal, this is where, this is their Romans 8, just so you know. Watch this. Let's see, let's start in verse 16, that's good. So, all this has just happened. Peter is now telling his buddies, this happened. I saw it. I was a witness. God moved on them the same way he moved on us. Verse 16, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Because some of his brothers were saying, dude, they're, they're not Jews. The Messiah's not for them. Salvation's not for them. They're not Jews. Peter's like, look, who am I to stand in God's way? If he wants to save Gentiles, I mean, he did. I saw it. I was there. Same as with us. It happened to them. Cornelius and his whole family got saved. And when they heard these things, verse 18, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Man, isn't that beautiful? Aren't you glad? How many? We've got some of Jewish just sitting here, but most of us are Gentiles, right? We're filthy dogs. To the Jews, I'm so glad God decided salvation was big enough for us as well. Amen. Now, now here's the error. Some people read. Acts chapter 11, this historical thing that uh, happened this way, and they missed the, the real point. And instead they just focused on the, the tongues at Pentecost and the tongues of that did occur in Acts chapter 10 at uh, Cornelius' house. But if we zoom the microscope back, we see a bigger picture. We see a God bringing all nations and all people together in a singular unified purpose, which is the point of Acts chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, right? There was one group of people left on planet Earth, Noah and his sons. And they began to repopulate. God told them, spread out, populate the whole earth with your children. And what did they do? They they set up camp and they tried to, as they grew in numbers, as they had kids who had kids who had kids, they decided, you know what, let's just stay here forever and we're going to build a tower so big. The Tower of Babel. We're going to build this tower so big that we're going to sit in the heavens. We're going to sit in the seat of God. And you know what God did? God did what he always does when we tried to build kingdoms for ourselves. By the way, it's sin that is the root cause of anyone trying to build their own kingdom, to be their own God, just like the sons of Noah all together, they're building to build themselves up, to be equal with God. And God says, I'm not going to have it. Do you remember what He did? He made it impossible for them to work together. How did He do that? By confusing their language. They could not cooperate. They could not communicate with each other. I don't know. And this is, by the way, this is where the nations come because they had to begin to do what God originally said. They begin to spread out all those who spoke in the different languages. They, they spread out and they, they did populate the whole earth. And it's also where all the false religions come from that all have a little semblance uh, with, with Christianity. Isn't it amazing how animal sacrifices happen all over the world in every religion uh, in the ancient times? It's because. The first thing Noah did when he got off the boat in front of his three sons and their families is made a sacrifice. The sacrificial system pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God. He wanted his people to be ready for Messiah to come, live perfect, die in their place for their sins. But that's why it's everywhere, scattered all around there. It's also why you can find pyramids in Africa and in South America. Tower of Babel, man, it's the easiest way to build something in the ancient world. No, it wasn't UFO and alien technology. Blah! Demons. What was I talking about? Confused language. People spread out all over God's kingdom. But at Pentecost, what does God do? He brings language back. Together, where people, no matter where they're from, can communicate with one another. For what purpose? For unity in the body of Christ. And there's one spirit and there's one baptism where this occurs. Show that slide one more time. That's the big idea of Acts chapter 11. So many say, here's how it happened at Pentecost. Here's how it happened at Cornelius' house. So it has to happen that way to be spirit baptized. It has to happen that way just like that for every Christian at all times. But these are historical texts that are telling the story of what happened. There's lots in Acts. We talked about it already, so I won't belabor There's lots of acts that we don't feel like has to happen for every Christian at every time. Plus, there's no verse in the Bible that says it's got to happen this way for every Christian at every time. So what was the purpose then of this? Well, Paul lets us know. John the Baptist prophesied it. Jesus guaranteed it. Peter affirms, in fact, it did happen. Paul explains why. He explains why right here. Look at verse 13 again. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Everybody, Jews, Greeks, no boundaries. God brings in one spirit through the baptism of his spirit. He makes all people, unifies them as they gather together. We're all drinking of the one spirit, the drinking, the communion, the lifting up of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we could go to Colossians 2, we could go to Romans 4, we could go to Galatians 3, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all one unified in the spirit, in the body of Christ. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 really quick. I'm going to leave it to you. I'm not going to turn there. No, Bible, no more Bible drill. Listen, here's what Paul's explaining. What's what, what the spirit about? baptism? Is. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Why is there no command to seek the baptism of the Spirit in Scripture? Because if you're here and you love Jesus, it has already occurred. When the Holy Spirit came into your heart and that heart of stone, he made a soft heart of flesh and where your desires were for yourself to be your own God, all of a sudden you see Jesus as God and you see Jesus as Lord and you see Jesus as Savior and all of a sudden your sin that you see in the mirror disgusts you and you say, forgive me of my sin. I just want Jesus. Give me more Jesus. The Spirit's baptism has already occurred in your life one spirit, one baptism that brings us together and unifies us in Christ Jesus. Is this fun? You having fun? We're gonna talk a lot more about it when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That was to wet your whistle. (laughs) Verse 14, let's hear I got six minutes. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now watch, we have some, some body parts here that are personified. Here's what, understand what literary device is being used. This is metaphor. This is personification. Don't walk away. Don't listen to that guy. Feet can't ask questions. The Bible's wrong. No, a point is being made through the personification of different parts of the body. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it, underline this, any less. A part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it, underline it, any less a part of the body. Listen, whoever you are, wherever you come from, there is not a man too old. There is not a young girl too young. Right? We're, we're, we're in the context of gifts that God gives to his people through the power of his spirit so that together we can be unified and make much of Jesus. And there is no person in this room who is less than. Maybe you don't even know what your gift is. Maybe you don't know what, how God wants to use you yet. Even in your ignorance in those things. You are still not less than anybody else. You are sitting beside. God has purpose for your being here. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make any junk. There is no one despite which gift you been. Man, there are people in this room with gifts of generosity. Not just through the worship of God uh, with their money at, as the church, but you're just a generous people to others in your community, in your neighbor. you just got, God has gifted you with generosity. You're no less a part of the body than the pastors of the church. The Holy Spirit makes everything equal at the foot of the cross. We all come to the cross in need. We all find redemption and salvation in the cross. And we all find the gifts of God's Spirit to help us encourage one another and make much of Jesus. No gift is less than. The person holding the baby right now so that you can be ministered to through God's Word is no less important than what I am doing on the stage right now. You may say, Brent, right, because some gifts just get more credit. When we get to chapter 14, there's a lot of people in Corinth with a gift of tongues. By the way, Paul says not everybody get that spirit baptism. Paul says not everybody's going to speak in tongues. So that can't be what spirit baptism means. We don't all have the same gifts. But whatever it is that God has given us, man, we help one another when we use that giftedness to help the church make much of Jesus. Brent, I wish I could sing. You know, these guys get to get on stage. I wish I could play the drums. Listen, wherever God has put you, you are not expendable. You are necessary to the health of the body. Man, a body that's got a thumb chopped off is not healthy. A body that's got a cancer is not healthy. All of us make one body No part of the body is less than. You might say, well, you know, bodies have armpits. Bodies have colons. Scripture teaches there are some undesirable areas of the body. But they're still important. So if you happen to think you're the the armpit of the church, praise God. (laughs) The church needs armpits. We need one another. i got to move. If the whole body were an eye, that'd be weird. <laughs> if the whole body were an eye, oh, I lost it. where would be the sense of hearing? Right? We need hearing as well as sight. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the smell? We need all our parts. We need our fingers. We need our fingernails. We need the hairs that grow in our nose to filter toxins like COVID in our midst. If the whole body were near, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, underline it. as He chose. It reminds us of the gifts that we're to desire. We're going to be told a little later. But ultimately we don't get to choose what gifts we get. I certainly wouldn't have chosen this gift. I'm a a backdoor kind of guy. I'm an in-the-shadows guy. I'm an introvert. I don't like being up front, but I didn't get to choose. God distributed and apportions to each one, verse 11, as he wills. I don't know why I can do this, but as God will, as he chose, this is my place in the body. And you have your place in the body. And you're just as important. What you do here is just as important as what I do. Believe God's word. Believe God's word. May your heart be filled with courage and faith to use whatever strength God has given you for his glory as we come together to make much of Jesus. All of us are better than one of us. The church needs everybody, and everybody needs the church. As he chose, verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? It would be just a hand laying on the floor, doing no good, grossing people out as they walk by. We need the whole enchilada. If all were a single man, where would the body be, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Listen, I'm not preaching this message to you because I want to. I'm preaching this message to you. Because by God's sovereign design, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. And what God says is true, whether you want to believe it or not. I'm Scott's Irish. You know what that means? It means I am fiercely independent. I, I'm that guy that just give me my piece of land. Give me my pair of boots and my work gloves. And I will grow food. I don't need your help. I, you know how bad I am at asking for help? I'm bad. I'm Scots Irish. It's just it's it was it's bred into my DNA to be independent, to not need anything. But guess what the Bible says? None of us, regardless of our personality or characteristics or traits, none of us get to say, "Ah, I don't need anybody else." The Bible specifically says, "You cannot say, I have no d-. we need" One another, whether you want to admit that or not, you need to be known and you need to know others. We're in this together. We need all of us all the time unified by God's spirit to make much of Jesus. Look, God has, one of the gifts he's given me is a, the, uh, a prophetic gift. That doesn't mean Old Testament prophet where I'm foreseeing the future. It means God has given me the ability to understand his word and rightly declare the oracles of God to you. But you know what happens when I surround myself with just other people who it's truth, 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 because that's what a prophet is. What God says is true. Look, we can hurt a lot of people's feelings. We can say the right thing in the wrong way. It's why people with the gift of prophet need people with the gift of evangelism around them. To say, hey, let's think about how their ears are hearing what you're saying. Is there a different way? Man, I learned some great lessons in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that whole head covering thing. Because I came down hard. And what I said was true. But I hurt people's feelings. And I made people feel marginalized. And in every conversation I had with any of those people, I apologized to them. Why? Because I should. And next time I'm going to be more careful. I'm constantly learning. What is the, from my evangelist brethren who care about people, who care about people's feelings. I'm a prophet. I don't care about people's feelings. That's why I'm a bad counselor. That's why we need priestly Jeremy over here to do counseling. Because when people come to me and he does this and she does that, I'm just like, stop doing that, stop doing that. (claps) Fixed. (laughs) I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at that. Right? But my gift's important. Jeremy's gift is important. All of our gifts are important. We can't say. Because it's easier to say, I'm just going to get around these five people who all think like me, act like me, talk like me, dress like me, worship like me, and it'll just be us four and no more. God, that, God doesn't use that to reach people. We need the gifts of evangelists. We need teaching gifts. We need all the gifts given to us by God's grace working together. We can't say, you're a little different from me. So I have no need of you. No, all of us together. Unified in Christ Jesus, this is God's plan. And you are not less than. If you need help discovering what gift God has given you, man, there are tools and resources. Reach out to the staff at the church. Reach out to me. We will help you because God has a purpose for you being here. And it's so that you can join us in one spirit. Making much of Jesus in Ackworth, in Cartersville, and Kennesaw and anywhere else that God calls us to plant churches, let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace of a few extra moments. May your word be heard loud and clear. Jesus may people walk out of this room, knowing that your hand and your spirit is on their lives because they love Jesus and declare him to be Lord. Father, and may they grow hungry. Lord, you said those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. May they be hungry to find their place in your body and your work that you are doing in this world. May no one feel less than in Jesus name every Christian said amen Amen.